You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. On today's show, I have Pablo Fernandez, who's a Bitcoin software engineer and all-around technical subject matter expert. This was just a fascinating discussion where we talk about some of the more interesting things happening around the Bitcoin ecosystem. We start the conversation by covering the big announcement that Jack Dorsey recently made about the decentralized identity and data storage app run on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network, something he creatively called Web5. And for people not tracking, this was a jab at all the Web3 folks who don't have decentralized protocols. And then near the end of the conversation, Pablo and I get into this really interesting conversation where he talks about some of his personal experiences from Argentina's aggressive currency debasement and how he's able to eloquently describe how he thinks central bank digital currencies will actually accelerate Bitcoin adoption. It's a discussion you won't want to miss. So let's jump right into it. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Pablo. And Pablo, you have a lot of experience as a developer. You haven't just been doing this for a couple of years. You've been in this in the developing space for two decades um yeah it's it's been quite a while <laughs> and you have and i mean obviously you haven't been working on bitcoin for two decades but you you have a lot of experience in various sectors of development so i guess my first question for you is how does bitcoin and being in this space differ from other developing jobs that you had worked for so long before kind of coming here Oh man, that's such a good question because I've noticed that I've been working at uh, at Bitcoin companies for a couple of years, and one of the things that I've noticed working at uh, at Swan Bitcoin is that there seems to be sort of like a moat when it comes to hiring and finding people that make it, makes it very easy when you hire Bitcoiners compared to just hiring engineers for any other company. Because we are all working towards something we believe in from first principles, you find immediately you find people, if they are Bitcoiners, you find that you are immediately aligned. Like culturally, mm, yeah. it's an immediate fit. If they're Bitcoiners, it's an immediate fit. So I worked at a bunch of big companies, small companies. I did a stunt at, at Merrill Lynch. I worked most of my life. I worked at either really early startups, like maybe two, three, four, five people larger startups, like 20, 30 people. And you never get this feeling that they are there because they believe. Like I worked at Hotel Tonight, for example. I never got the impression that I was working with someone that was there because they were passionate about selling that last room at that hotel. You know, (laughs) they wake up in the morning thinking, oh, yes, I want to sell that last booking. No one, not a single person, yeah. but every single person that shows up at the Bitcoin company, at a real Bitcoin company is there because they believe in Bitcoin and they want to make Bitcoin succeed. And yeah, man, it's, it's such a different experience. It's a whole different level. And you see people that will take a pay cut to work mm-hmm. at a Bitcoin company. Hmm. You don't see that anywhere, <laughs> pretty much anywhere else. Yeah, like yeah. bottom line. What's the what's the wage? What's the stock? What's the what's the comp? But at a Bitcoin companies, okay, what am I going to be doing for Bitcoin? You know, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely impressive. What what got you down the Bitcoin rabbit hole from the start? 
<laughs> my my uh my rabbit hole story is pretty uh it's pretty sad and lame <laughs> <laughs> i it took me so i i was i was into uh like like you said i i've been in software engineering for many many decades well not many many decades but a couple of decades and i was into austrian economics before bitcoin like i read human action in mm. 2006 hmm. and when i first got into bitcoin i saw this thing, this chart on the screen that had a lot of difference between the different spot exchanges. So my first couple of years in Bitcoin, it was just I started trading. Well, not trading. I made a, an arbitrage platform that would mm. compare the prices across, I don't know, like probably, probably around 40 different exchanges. I just started to create trades. And yeah, it took me a couple of years to realize that Bitcoin was a bit more than that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much to chew on. And, and I mean, everybody kind of comes at it from a different angle. And then the more you, you learn and the more you get into it, you're like, what is this that I'm even dealing with? But that's fascinating. So you came with a with a lens of looking at all these different exchanges and how they fit together, the liquidity and the volume. Absolutely. And, and it on its own, that aspect of it, it's Bitcoin, but it could be any market. It's super interesting because... My first trade, I did a manual trade where I bought, I think I bought one Bitcoin at, at Kraken and I sold it at, at Coinbase. Well, not the same Bitcoin, but roughly um, I, I did um, had one Bitcoin in Kraken, one Bitcoin in, in Coinbase, and then I sold and bought at the same time, right? And I got like 20% profit from, from that trade. And I couldn't believe that that was real, that that's such a huge inefficiency would exist in the market. But as the market starts becoming bigger, creating that kind of getting that kind of margin is really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and the arbitrage market is really, really, really competitive. It's sort of like mining where every single edge will be exploited. Mm -hmm. um, so I started talking with exchanges, which would sell you collocation on the same data centers that they were using. So you would get a little bit faster access to the order book a little bit faster execution and yeah, playing around how to create basically a synthetically atomic trade where you sell and buy at the same time. Because if, you, if you're doing arbitrage, you don't want to be exposed to the price. You just want to be exposed to the delta of the price across the exchanges, right? So dealing with the algorithms to make sure that you are not getting risk that you don't want to take it's super interesting. And then finding the way to move liquidity around because yeah, moving Bitcoin or moving whatever coin you want to trade, it's super easy. But moving fiat around exchanges, especially before, before stable coins, it's really, really, really hard. Uh, and that, solving that problem was the most interesting aspect of, of this, whole <laughs> this whole part of my uh, Bitcoin story. <laughs> well, no, that's fascinating. So Recently in the news, Jack Dorsey made an announcement about what he's calling Web 5, which really made me snicker when I heard that that was the, the tell us about the name or at least your opinion on the name. And then let's do a deep dive into some of the tech on this. Dude, the name, <laughs> epic, epic troll. It's, <laughs> I love Jack Dorsey. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the name is hilarious. I think it attracts 
all the right kind of reactions. <laughs> I think the Web3 VCs who got wrecked now dumping on, on retail with the re- latest crash are going to like, get really triggered uh, because it's clearly a call out. The people that the unaware retail is going to be, oh, that's even better than Web3. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a genius name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when when I first heard it, I thought it was just a troll. I didn't think they were actually building something. I mean, I knew they were working with the IDs and, and this, the 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 work blocks ha- has been doing. But uh, yeah, naming it Web Web Five is is absolutely genius. I mean, so, with regards to yeah, go ahead. So, so you you mentioned DIDs, which is uh, decentralized identifiers. Tell mm-hmm. people what that is. And maybe we should even pull out, out more to kind of describe what this whole effort is, because even though he's trolling and doing those types of things, there's something here. And I think there's something here really important that he's going after. But let's have you describe overall what he's trying to do. And then we can drill into DIDs, DWNs, the SSIS, like all this stuff that kind of popped out of this. The basic idea of uh, DIDs, which is a uh, Super old concept. Uh, it predates Bitcoin by decades. The basic idea is that you have sort of like issuers of, of an identity where you say, say you create a, an account with your bank, right? Your bank has a relationship with you and they might say Preston has X amount of fiat on, on his bank account. Up till now, Without DIDs, that's a one-to-one relationship. It's you and your bank. With DIDs, you would be the one owning this relationship, this identity that you present to your bank, right? So you would be able to get this, even though your bank has your assets, you would be the one owning the credentials that allow you to go to your bank. So you could basically reuse those credentials and say, this entity, this bank knows that I am Preston, that I have X amount of money, my date of birth is X. And you can take that data because that data is, you own that data and you keep that data yourself. And so, so you can take that data. And with like, they can prove this with a hash that so they're basically pinging your, whatever your IP address or whatever they have on record. And they know that in order for you to send them cryptographically, send them this identifying data that's that's your information, you basically provide them some type of hash that says, all right, I'm the only person that could possibly know this. Here's the proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's all the encrypted data. And then they ingest that and then, then they they do what they do with it. Is that a correct? Uh, that, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So, so a really good example of, um, of using a, a DID that might resonate with with uh, people that have signed up for an exchange or for multiple exchanges um, is you KYC with one exchange and then you take that KYC data and you take it somewhere else. So there's all kinds of interesting stuff that you can do with uh, zero proof, zero knowledge proof, where you can take that data and without revealing that your actual KYC, your passport picture, your proof of address, all that stuff. Without revealing it, you can say, oh, I've been KYC'd by Bitstamp, and here's certificate that I've been KYC'd by Bitstamp. And you can take that and use it for Coinbase, and then Coinbase would be basically trusting that mm-hmm. you've been KYC'd by Bitstamp, but without actually getting the, the documentation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there's more in this. They, they said that they're also going to have 
decentralized web nodes. Is this just the the data that I'm storing, like from more from like a server standpoint, but on my just like maybe a Raspberry Pi or whatever I'm using as as my own node? Yeah. So one important caveat that I think we need to keep in mind is that all of this is just an announcement and a website explaining and a paper explaining uh, what it is. There is no code available. So the form that this is going to take is a bit of a speculation at mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. If I had to speculate, I think the, the shape that it will take... Are, are you familiar with uh, Start9 and Embassy? Not really, um, no. So, so there's, a, there's a company called Start9 Labs, and they're making, they're making what they're calling... Um, I forgot what they're calling it, but the, the, name of the, uh, the name of the device is Embassy. So it's basically just a Raspberry Pi or a Rock mm-hmm. Pro, a small piece of hardware. And you can think about it as, a, as your router, basically, mm-hmm. right? You have your router at home. You use it to access the internet. You probably don't know what else you can do with it. So the idea of the Embassy is that it's going to be like a router, but with added functionality. So it mm-hmm. will just be this piece of hardware without a screen, without anything. It's just in your home, but it has a bunch of other things. One of the things, and there's a marketplace around it. So one of the things that you can do with it is you can have your cloud storage, you can have your Bitcoin node, you can have your Lightning node. What I think might happen is decentralized web node is going to be something like your embassy. It's just this hardware sitting in your, in your, in your uh, apartment, in your, in your home, that is doing something for you. Because the key is that the data that you're keeping for, for the, uh, the Web5 thing is not hosted on you know, Amazon Web Services, on your bank's database, yeah. on your... Like, you have to possess the data. You have to actually keep the data yourself somewhere. So that needs to be solved. They are calling that decentralized web, decentralized web nodes. I think that's the shape it's going to take. So it's almost like the umbral. It, yeah, it's, it's exactly like the umbral. Yes, that's another example of, of the embassy. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. helps me out a lot. So yeah, and you know what's crazy about the umbral is how much it is like Apple. Uh, like just using your iPhone, like they've got their own app store. You go in there, you're downloading whatever application. You can then use that specific application. And it's just crazy that I'm running it right off of my you know, little Raspberry Pi node. So that, that's perfect. So anybody who sees DWN or uh, decentralized web node, that think of your umbral. That's a good example. Okay. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So um, here's another one that this one's, this one's kind of confusing me. SSIS, self-sovereign identity service. Now, when I think service, I think I've got to go to somebody else to, to provide a service to me. So what are they talking about here? And then it also says that they're going to wrap it in an SDK self-sovereign identity. That one, I would need to look into. Yeah. That one, I, I don't think I read that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around some of this. But yeah. And so then they're saying that what's going to pop out of all of this is a decentralized web node messaging, uh, verifiable credentials, decentralized identifiers, credential manifests, like so many different things that is bringing decentral decentralization and um there was a quote here that that somebody wrote i don't know who wrote this but they said web web 5 uses just one blockchain bitcoin for one specific use case 
identity. And then it's made up of all those components that we just talked about. So, right. um, yeah, I think that's just ion. Like the the DID part is uh, is ion, which is a project that it predates all this. It's been running for quite a while. And that's a so, protocol. This ion that you're talking about is a protocol. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, it's just hashes into into the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Wow. Do you see this as being in competition with you know all this? I'll be I'll be kind stuff that's happening on Web three. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, clearly, I mean, it's super obvious that the only purpose of Web three is just to create tokens to sell them to retail with different type of narratives. But there is absolutely nothing there. Um, when when you look at what Web three means. It can mean nothing. It can mean whatever you want. It's like a mirror, like you stand in front of Web3, you issue tokens. I like you dump that it on. example. It's like a mirror. Um. I, I think, I think um, what they've announced, the closest it competes with, it's a uh, synonym. Are you familiar with uh, nah, tell us about what that. John Carvalho... So John announced synonym in uh, the um, conference back in uh, back in El Salvador in November 2021, and they had been working in stealth mode for I think close to two years. And it's it's pretty much from a from a value prop perspective, it's pretty much what uh, what Jacques announced: the idea of having DIDs, the idea of owning your data, the idea of hashing and presenting basically certificates to, for example, reuse KYC or showing that you are, you know, you go to a bar and you want to show that you're older than 21 without revealing your picture, your address, your, you know, Mm. your actual birthday. So um, yeah, Jean presented a bunch of different uh, projects they've been working on. And yeah, it's, it's, it's basically, again, from a value prop perspective, they, they take a, different approaches, but from a value prop perspective, is is the same idea. Hmm. And they've been working on this for a couple of years. So they do have a lot of code ready that you can use, that you can that you can run. They've already run into a bunch of different issues and unsolved them. So yeah, I mean it sounds like I'm, the I'm whole so- identity piece is getting mature and probably going to be a, a big deal in the coming what, three years? The identity piece is crucial, and the identity piece we will be solved because I, I think even the Web three gang agrees that that the identity issue, where you know your Twitter handle is not owned by you, it's owned by Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook page, your wh- whatever identity you own, you use is not owned by you. So the identity piece will absolutely be solved and. If you think about it, when you keep when you own Bitcoin, if you actually own Bitcoin, you in some way you must keep private keys, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to have to keep all these different logins, all these different identities to your bank when you already have a private key that you can derive other keys from and use that as authentication and as identity proof. So the, the DID piece is absolutely essential and it will be solved for sure. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests to the maintenance 
to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. So let's walk through a use case with something like this. And if I have my own node, maybe I have a pretty substantial amount of memory that's associated with my, with my node. Basically, Twitter could become, I could own all those tweets, whereas nobody could come in and delete me, right? Like Twitter is basically just housing this interface where these IDs are, are being plugged into their platform and there's no, like that platform isn't able to delete or prevent me because it's a decentralized kind of system at that point where IDs are able to plug in and then all their their previous tweets and everything that they've ever commented on and liked and whatever, and they have absolute control over that, I guess. Is that it? That, that's, that's, that's absolutely, that's definitely one of the use cases. And yeah, if you think about it, it's super important because you will, so for example, with the way Synonym works, Synonym uses something that is sort of like a blockchain without a without a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's what's called an append append only log where you can only add information, sort of like a blockchain, right? You can only add information to to a database 
but without being able to rewrite what has been written before, right? And the way it works is you can, so for example, my website, I host it on what synonym uses underlying synonym. It's called Hyperdrive. And the basic idea is that, you know how BitTorrent works? Well, I would like to I think mean, I you know, know how, but how I BitTorrent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know how to, yeah, but you, you get the basic idea yeah, that there's, yeah. So Hyperdrive works in the, sa- the exact same way where okay. I have my website, I write information on my website and then I sieve my website, right? And then you could, if you wanted to, you could connect basically to, to my node and download that same data and start seeding that data as well. Mm. So if I went in and deleted my website, you could still keep a copy off my website mm. all the time, right? And you could do that with Twitter. So for example, if I decide to delete my Twitter account or you know, Trump's Twitter account, you could still get all that data, all those tweets, because you have a local copy of every single tweet that you want to keep. So you can basically, scr- you can still s- <laughs> scrape the web and take whatever data that used to be presented. Um, yeah, absolutely. But as far as whatever digital ID that's plugged into one of these platforms, as long as I am the owner of basically signing into that uh, platform as the owner, I'm controlling what's being presented under that identification. If, even if I want to go back and try to rewrite history, which I can do, anybody still has the opportunity to scrape the data real time and run background copies of all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's not even scraping. It's fetching the actual source of data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's have a copy of the database instead yeah. of just going in and saving the HTML or whatever representation of the data. Yeah. You have the actual database yourself. All right. Well, that's fascinating stuff. And I'm just kind of curious to see what in the heck evolves out of this. It seems like Jack sees this as being a very big deal. It seems like you would agree with that. I um, totally agree with that. Oh, yes. Crazy. Yeah. It's a bit of a change of power thing, basically. Yeah. I mean, it, because it's, nobody it's, has control of anything right now. It's crazy. It is. And I mean, you have a large Twitter follower. And if you were to get your Twitter account nuked tomorrow, it, it has an impact. I mean, this is work that you've been doing for a really long time and it can be taken at a whim yeah. uh, out of you. Right. Yeah, the time and, and energy that people pour into some of these accounts and the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah. it's time and effort that you're investing and that it can be just deleted away from you. It's, so uh, that's, a, that's, um, that's an interesting thing that I, that I see with, uh, with coins where they often get part of the narrative, right? It's just that they never actually build anything because the incentives aren't there. And, you know, when the incentive is to create a, an asset and just dump it on someone else, why actually make the effort of building a real business, a real building real value is just not compatible. But the narrative that they've been complaining about, you are, you know, you don't own your Twitter, you don't own your Facebook, all, all that stuff, it's, it's valid. The complaint is valid. The solution is not. But yeah, with uh, Web5, we, yeah, there is, there is a path towards solving some of those problems. What are your thoughts on Lightning in general? I'm super bullish on, on Lightning. I think it's a beautiful, full solution. 
yeah, I think Lightning, it's Lightning is going to become the the de facto way of onboarding most people where it's coming into Bitcoin Lightning first and maybe never touching on chain. I think there is a lot to be done on Lightning. There is a lot of value to be done on uh, to be gotten from Lightning. I think there is a lot of hype as with everything, smart contracts on Lightning, you know, what is that? <laughs> You're not seeing it. You're not seeing that part of it, huh? No, no. I mean, there is stuff that can be done leveraging the idea of Lightning or the capabilities of Lightning, but there is no real value out of, say, for example, getting phone calls over Lightning. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's interesting to be able to have a phone call where one of the parties is sending sats, say, so like a consulting or something like that. That's valuable. The actual data doesn't need to go over Lightning. It, it can just go out of band. Because you, can encrypt, they, I, I, because you can encrypt the line and it doesn't have to happen over that. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm doing it over Lightning. It's, it has such a large overhead for no value other than being able to say that is a phone call over Lightning. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't make much sense. And, and I think in the same way, there are many narratives that sound nice because Bitcoin adjacent is saying, oh, this is on Lightning. It sounds very nice. But it doesn't actually do anything or it doesn't add any value. It's marketing. Uh, it's just a war- <laughs> It is marketing. It's yes. Marketing, it's yeah. it's Ethereum MB sipping into <laughs> leaking into Bitcoin. <laughs> I think when when I'm thinking about lightning, I'm just you don't have an incentive structure yet for people to go out and spend in in large quantities relative to maybe a, a few spots in the world that are out there using it in the day to day and and the use case there is amazing you're just not going to get on a net global basis i think we're we're still very very early for the use cases to kind of pop out of it you know you look here in the US we've got capital gains laws and so to use it in any kind of way it's restrictive a little bit where you know, am I going to go out there? If I get a 10% discount, I think Chipotle here in the US is doing this, where if you pay in Bitcoin, you get a 10% discount at Chipotle, or at least that's what I'd heard. But for me, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, all right, so I, I love the fact that Chipotle is trying to, to do this. But at the same time, I'm saying to myself, why would they offer a 10% discount when they could just you know not do that? And take whatever free cash flows they're getting in cash and immediately convert whatever free cash flows they got into Bitcoin. If, the, if that's a 10% margin on average for the company, they collect a $10 purchase and they immediately convert $1 into Bitcoin and they put it on their treasury. So I'm then, trying. Then they wouldn't be talked about in, uh, well, <laughs> in your podcast. Hey, <laughs> you're right. From a marketing standpoint, it's great. And I don't suspect there's a whole lot of people exercising it. So from a marketing standpoint, it's great. But I think from an incentive on a real large scale, you're just not there yet with people seeing, you know, the fiat melting down. Now, give it a, give it another three to five years, and who knows what'll pop out of this. But I I love the fact that the that the plumbing is there, it's in place from developers like yourself that are working hard to make all of this accessible and the user, the, the UX is something I want to talk to you about maybe a little bit later, but it's getting there, right? Like, and it's getting exciting. It's just, I think we got to wait for the macro backdrop to kind of play out for everybody to really see the use case. 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't think this kind of activity where people choose to pay with Lightning or choose to pay with Bitcoin will happen because of voluntarism or because it's a marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. I think they will happen because it's the path that makes the most sense for each individual person. So it's all marginal decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, I do use Lightning very regularly, only when it makes more sense for me to pay with Lightning than with fiat. Whenever I pay with Bitcoin, and when I pay with Bitcoin, I'll say that 95% of my transactions are with Lightning. It always, every single time, it is because it's so much easier to mm-hmm. use Lightning than to use, than to use fiat. But I don't pay with Bitcoin because I'm an activist, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's what the movement, if that's what hyper-Bitcoinization requires, it will never happen. Yeah. Um, but the closer each individual person gets to hyper-Bitcoinization, so for example, for myself, I, I live a life of hyper-Bitcoinization, if you will. Like my accounting is in, in Bitcoin. That's the only number that I keep track of with regards to my net worth. For me, getting closer and closer and closer, actually paying with Bitcoin makes a lot of sense because that means that I have to keep less and less fiat, right? If I want Mm -hmm. to make sure that I end the month with zero fiat, it means that sometimes I will miscalculate and I will have to pay with Bitcoin because that's the only way I can pay. But yeah, it's not something that will happen because I'm doing a marketing campaign for Bitcoin. The central bank... Like this idea of going... The central bankers are doing all the marketing here. (laughs) There's no need. (laughs) We have such such good allies. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need any marketing. I'm I'm Argentinian and I grew up in Argentina. And for for myself, like when I when I first got into I when I first understood Bitcoin, Mm. I mentioned it to my family from Argentina, who we've experienced the Corralito back in 2001 and We've experienced so many different super high or yeah. hyperinflationary events in our lives that pitching Bitcoin is like, yeah, there's this thing. <laughs> they will not be up. able to print more. <laughs> okay. All right. It takes like seven seconds to orange peel people in Argentina. Yeah. I orange peeled my 103-year-old grandfather <laughs> in like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, they will fix, they will find a way to do lightning. They will find a way to KYC. They will find a way to do whatever they need to do. You don't have to convince them. Mm. <laughs> wow. That's some powerful stuff. And, and it makes sense, right? Like it's once you live that and you've experienced that environment that pops out of that situation, it's, it's something that will never be something that you can unsee. Do you see a world where most people are running their own node at their house and doing this decentralized web nodes and things like that? Do you do you think that that's going to become standard almost like you were saying earlier like a router? Yeah, I think that that is the path. Uh, I don't think there's a different path than that one, but if you if I were to travel in time 50 years and tell you, yes, every single person in their home is going to be running this little device that will connect them to a global, a global network where they be able to use that device to exchange messages, you'll be like, okay, yes, that's not happening, right? But we, every single home has a router. And in that same way, yes, I do think that people, they will not directly interface with, with uh, the device in the same way that how many people actually log into their router and make sure that yeah. They have the right set. No one, not a single person. I mean, maybe 
point one percent of the population. Many. <laughs> <laughs> not many, not many. And I think it will be the same the same case for these devices. It's just going to be another part of your router. Yeah. Hey, what misunderstandings do you think a lot of people have in this space that maybe have just arrived in the past year and are just getting familiar with it? Like what what are some of the talking, like the big points that you think people misunderstand? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to cover there. There is a lot to cover. Yeah. I think I think one of the main points that people tend to misunderstand is that I think people see Bitcoin as something that needs to be so so for example, hyperbitcoinization is a is a is a good one because I think people are saying, oh, when hyperbitcoinization comes and or when state X legalizes has a legal tender with Bitcoin. I think what's missing is that all of these are decisions made at the margins. And Bitcoin is something that you choose to use yourself, and it doesn't require anyone else to act on your behalf. It's, it's not a system where you need to, um, to wait for permission to be hyper-Bitcoinized. It's not a system where you need to ask for permission, right? It's, it's a system that's permissionless. Um, it's 100% opt-in all the way, all the way. So I, I, got a, I got a tattoo, a Bitcoin tattoo on, on my shoulder. And when I showed that to many people, they were like, oh, what, what if Bitcoin changes and you stop liking Bitcoin? And now you like, say, for example, back in the 2017 fork and I, I was a big blocker. And oh, what, what if now you have a, the Bitcoin instead of the Bitcoin cash tattoo? But the definition of Bitcoin itself is my own understanding, right? So by definition, the Bitcoin that I have tattooed is the Bitcoin that I agree with. And I define what Bitcoin means for me. And as long as I respect the consensus rules, of course. But I think this idea of not understanding Bitcoin as complete control of your decisions, this idea of having to wait for some kind of bill to pass or some kind of regulatory standpoint to change, I think that's the source of a lot of confusion. What else do you think on the misunderstandings? How about like a pet peeve or something that, that like you hear and just immediately it just kind of sets you off? Well, <laughs> one thing that I dislike quite a bit is this idea that whenever someone is new to Bitcoin, they are push down the, uh, oh, and now you need to run your own Bitcoin node and you need to run your Lightning node. And this whole idea that, that there is this large effort that needs to be made in order to be a Bitcoiner and pass mm -hmm. the, uh, the purity test, I think it's very off-putting. I think the Umbral and Raspi Blitz and all these different projects are absolutely amazing and really, really good. But it's become a de facto that if someone wants to get into Bitcoin and actually run the software, they need to buy a, a Raspberry Pi and they need to assemble it and they need to flash this, uh, this uh, microSD and put it here and do this and do that. And it's very daunting. And it used to be that running Bitcoin was you download Bitcoin Core and you run it on your computer and that's it. It could take five seconds and people can still do that. But now when they 
look into a, how, how, can, how can I run a node, the first thing they see is, oh, you need to go buy a Raspberry Pi. And I think that's absolutely the wrong, the wrong path because it's too big of an ask. If it's someone that is new, maybe they don't want to buy something, uh, a new device. Maybe they can just run it on their computer. Most people don't know that they can just run Bitcoin Core on their computer and it takes nothing. I mean, if you can run it on a Raspberry Pi, it's because it's a pretty uh, mild with, with regards to, lean. to requirements. It's very yeah. lean. Yeah. yeah. Um, my first nodes all were it's just on my computer, like the same computer I was using to, to write code on. Hey, so you and I had talked before we started recording about this idea of some of the people out there like to suggest that Lightning is not decentralized or that maybe it's not decentralized enough. And you had a take on this. Go ahead and uh, tell us what your opinion yeah, is. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with that. <laughs> I think where things will converge is that Lightning will not be decentralized. And I think that's an okay thing to happen. I think what's important about Lightning and decentralization is to have the optionality to, of to decentralization. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the ability yeah. of being decentralized because the idea is why do you want Lightning to be decentralized? You want it for fees to remain relatively low and you want it for censorship resistance, right? Because you don't have consensus rules on Lightning. The consensus rules are inherited from, from Bitcoin. So you don't need to guard against decentralization. You, you don't need to guard yourself from just consensus rules being dictated by five nodes. You only need it for censorship resistance and, and, and fees. So in that way, the idea that you are able to create a channel and go around sensors if there were sensors in the network is all you really need. So the benefits of a centralized Lightning network are pretty large. I mean, the user experience will be better. Fees will be kept on check. But if you don't have to route through 10 different nodes whenever you're doing a payment, the experience is going to be so much better. The experience is going to be cheaper. And it's okay for multiple companies to offer really good... And one important thing is that keeping a Lightning node, it's not easy. It's not, it's not the same as running a Bitcoin node. Running a, an, a real Lightning router node it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, it's, it requires deep understanding of how to manage liquidity. Um, it requires CSOPs, um, system operations uh, experience. It, it requires all these different skill sets that most people are not going to be able to, to do it. So I do think that Lightning has deep centralizing tendencies. And I used to think for a really long time, I used to think, that that was an issue to be solved. And I actually spent a lot of time working on solving that issue. Like when I first realized that Lightning had these tendencies, I was living in Costa Rica and my power, I had daily power outages, daily. Every single day for five, 10 minutes, I, power would just go down. For Lightning, no, that's absolutely terrible. So I started working with this idea of having sort of like a trusted copy of the keys so that a different node that I assign is able to take my identity from my Lightning node and is able to sign for me. And then when I go back online, I take those keys away. 
and I'm able to keep operating. So for someone that is routing through me, they wouldn't see me go offline uh, unless there was a pending HTLC, but uh, normally they wouldn't see me going offline. That was one of the problems that I, I thought, okay, this must be solved because otherwise there is no way that anyone in the developing world is going to be able to operate a routing lightning node. And then I actually um, talked about this with, uh, with John Carvalho in, in El Salvador. And he said, he told me, yes, and what's wrong with centralization? And then <laughs> I realized that I was just inheriting the, the mm. conceptions of the risks of centralization from, um, from, from Bitcoin. One. Yeah. From layer one. Yes. But it doesn't, those same ideas don't apply in layer two. They just don't apply. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-35. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business. And they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Do you, do you think and, this would be a, uh, the, for framing here? I love your point about you just have to have the option to do these things as far as run your own node and, and route your own lightning payments, it does, but it doesn't require it. So would, would this be the way that you would phrase it is you just expect as things evolve and as the world starts using more of this, that in application, a lot of people are going to be paying for centralized services on layer two, but they don't have to if they don't want to. And because of that optionality to, to run it themselves, that's what keeps everything still in check even though you might, let's just say you do have a bad actor that's a centralized service that takes care of 100,000 people or that services 100,000 people. If those people, if that's a bad actor or they do anything, it's not going to crash the network. It's not going to destroy Bitcoin. And all of those people probably would then take their layer two uh, transactions a whole lot more serious. And you probably see a bunch of them go run their own full node. Absolutely. There is an effort being done by, uh, by Blockstream that I am over the moon bullish on, which is called Greenlight. Green I don't know if you've, if you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. So the basic idea of Greenlight is that running, again, running a, a lightning node is very hard. It's, it requires a, a lot of knowledge and infrastructure and, and, and this and that. And the idea of Greenlight is that they, Blockstream runs the lightning infrastructure for you but the keys are on your devices. So even though it's, you could think about, about it as custodial because it's someone else's node, they are not able to sign any transaction for you. So they are not able to use your channels. They are not able to, to take your money. They are able to censor you. And they are able to say, I will not allow this transaction to be paid, but they are not able to, 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 to steal your money. Because the keys and the state of, the, of your Lightning node is in your device, you are always able to take that state, take those keys, and just run your own green light copy and just continue operating as if nothing had happened. So in the case that they were, they were going to censor you, you could just run it yourself hmm. without anyone knowing. Like No one would know that instead of running on green light, now you're running on your own computer. And I'm absolutely bullish on, on this because this idea is that you can have your channels on this one node, and then you could put your keys on your Fontaine app, on your wallets of Satoshi, on your Moon, on whatever. And each single lining app would be using the same channels, the same keys, the same state. Um, so you wouldn't have to have I don't know if you used value for value podcast, but I use a lot of different mm -hmm. uh, value for value um, applications. And in each single one of them, I need to keep a balance 
that balance is specific for each app. With a green light model, each app is using the exact same channels, is using oh, the wow. exact same balance. It's, it's absolutely mind-blowing because you could, you could issue keys for each app that are using the same, the same balance. Yeah. So when I hear things like that, I'm thinking, okay, so user experience is huge for people to not even know they're doing these things and for them that be happening in the background. So what grade would you give the uh, community at large, A, B, C, D, E, F, for the existing user experience on layer two right now? Uh, Are you a tough grader? We're about a, to find out. A, 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 for, a for effort. <laughs> uh, now, I think, I think it's super, super early. Uh, yeah. I'll say probably maybe an E. <laughs> Yes, something something around there. I mean, but that shows clearly, you where, where we have the potential to go, right? Absolutely, and yeah. I know uh, how many how many different companies are integrating with Greenlight, and the experience is going to be at least ten x better uh, mm-hmm. wow. than the previous model. Greenlight in one year, it's this model is going to be common, and again, ten x better. So. I think it's still too early. For me, the idea that I'm not able to onboard someone into Lightning that is not technical and onboard them in a sovereign way, it's sort of we're failing until we're able to, to do that. Onboard someone into a sovereign Lightning wallet without them having to do pretty much anything. I think Breeze has been the closest to that model where it is actual a lightning node running on your phone and it's not custodial whatsoever. I think that's the closest we've gotten to, to the right UX. I know Breeze, they are using Greenlight and we're going to be working with, with Roy to make that happen and to make that better. So yeah, give us one year <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll review that great. <laughs> that's exciting. And, and I kind of suspected that's what you were going to say. And... What I'm, I guess what I'm really trying to get at is just really the, the opportunity for growth here where people are just going to be able to download an app and they're going to be dealing with these Satoshi units and it's going to be seamless. It's going to start to get integrated. When do you think that, that it'll start getting into, integrated into like Apple, Apple Pay and stuff like that? Like is, is that closer than people realize or, or where, what do you think? I think for something like that, the blockers that we have on the way are not related to tech. They are related to economic incentives. Um, mm. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on, on that one. Yeah, no. So what you're getting at is, is they want the data. And so in all of this, it's not really the best uh, source of data relative to the existing model that they're dealing with. And so they're going to be kind of late to jump on board with a lot of this because it cuts into margins for them. I think so. I think it's a bit of the innovator's dilemma mm. where it's going to be hard for them to cannibalize their own business yeah. uh, in this way. And it's such a large source of revenue. It's such a, such, and uh, the fiat game itself, mm-hmm. it's such an important part of the, of the game they're playing. Yeah. So I think it's going to be really, really hard. But see, we go back to the hyper organization thing. We don't have to wait for them. Yeah. We don't have to ask for their permission to, to do all these things, uh, we can build around them. And they are welcome to 
run their own Bitcoin node and start plugging into the Bitcoin economy. But what we're building here is just a parallel economy. I think, I, I think very soon, these two economies, the fiat economy and the Bitcoin economy, are not going to be compatible anymore. But I, see, I see money as a, as a language. And up till now, we've had a translation layer between fiat and Bitcoin. And I think that translation layer is going to be broken apart with the introduction of CBDCs. That's why I'm super bullish on CBDCs. I can't wait for them to happen. Um, really? So this is a contrarian take. Aren't you worried about the <laughs> privacy? Because I mean, that's the thing that everybody I think it's really- great. I think it's great. I think the privacy issues are beautiful. I think they play right into our hand. Uh, <laughs> because it causes hyper-Bitcoinization. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, it, I got it, it will it will perfectly fragment. <laughs> it will perfectly so I think one of the main confusions people have with Bitcoin is thinking of Bitcoin as a chart. Remember walking into Bitcoin 2022, you walk down you walk into the main entrance, and the first thing you see at a Bitcoin conference is the Bitcoin fiat price. And you see a chart. That was the main thing right after the, the crypto bull. The first thing you'll see is the is the Bitcoin chart, and people get hung up. I, I did uh, every single person I meet, other than maybe Bitstein, or, you know, people like Illuminati, like that. They all see Bitcoin as a chart for a really, really long time. And the moment we are able to break that link, and the central banks are going to do it for us, the moment we're able to break that link, Bitcoin will stand on its own as a so, different system. So they're going to overreach by so much. This is, this is me summarizing what I think you're, you're saying here. They're going to overreach by so much and so aggressively that it's going to be so obvious for the rest of the world to, to know that that's not what they want and to turn to Bitcoin as the answer. Is that what you're saying? Not quite. So here's my experience as an Argentinian. Throughout all the different issues we've had in Argentina, the government in Argentina has always, always, always tried to prevent people from seeking refuge in the dollar. For Argentinians are just dollar crazy. Like they love the USD. So every single time there are issues in Argentina, which is always, the government puts in regulations preventing people from being able to access dollars as a, as a scape off. Mm. So back in 2005, I think they started with this regulation where you couldn't buy more than, I think it was like 10,000K a month per person. So in order to buy dollars, you would need to KYC and then they will register how much you were buying at each different exchange and physical exchanges. So you wouldn't go over the limit. Then they started lowering that limit to 1,000 and then to 200, which is the current limit, if I'm not mistaken, 200 is the current limit. Then they added a, a 30% tax over the 200. So even when you buy 200, you are not actually getting 200. And then it's theoretically possible to buy the 200, but there is no bank that will serve you the 200 bucks. So they are playing. And then, of course, the, a, a dark market emerges because of these regulations. And then the government cracks down on the, on the dark markets and there are arrests all the time. So the government is working as hard as it can to prevent people from doing this. What if 
there was this magical button that they can tap and they say no one is physically able to trade fiat tokens for fiat dollars. CBDCs allow you to do that. CBDCs allow you to say no one is able to spend pesos for dollars. They can perfectly do that. And it takes no effort. It just takes one button. If the Argentinian government had that power, they would do it in a split second. But this isn't good. But you're saying because they are being tempted by such a button and you think they'll probably hit the button, that it's just going to cause mass hyper-Bitcoinization. Everybody's going to run the Bitcoin because of it. I think it's, it's going to create a natural split on the, on the society between people that produce and people that only consume. Hmm. And if, you, if, you look at, if you look at Argentina, the producers, the uh, business people, uh, the people that are the entrepreneurs, the people that are running companies, they've done everything in their power to escape being uh, siloed into the, the, the Argentinian peso economy. So, for example, Mercado Libre, one of the biggest companies in, in Latin America, they move their offices across the pond to Uruguay and they are operating from Uruguay because they don't have this type of regulation. The only businesses that weren't able to do this are the people that worked on the fields, uh, mm -hmm. the companies that work on the fields. But every single producer has found a way within the realms of possibility to escape these type of regulations. And I think if producers see themselves being tied to remaining on fiat rails, and like Lagarde said that we need to plug every, every uh, skate ball because she, she said something, I don't know if you remember, maybe like a year ago, she said something around, we need to, we need to prevent people from escaping, something like that. If they don't plug every single hole, the producers will escape. And as people see this type of action and this type of powers, I, I, think, I think the people that are producing and are using their energy and their effort to create wealth, and they see themselves being cornered in a way that they are not able to protect their wealth, they will increasingly seek to escape into something. And that's something I think it's Bitcoin. This is a really profound thought right here. This idea that, you, that the money itself is going to separate the consumers, which when you look around the world right now, there are professional consumers <laughs> that are just waiting for the next, the next government check. Um, their, their next QE, their next, next UBI, Q, the next QE. And I like how you, how you throw that in there because some of these consumers are effectively Wall Street itself. They're just waiting for the next QE dump so that they can then splurge it into the market as a consumer. Right. And, and, and if you and think about it, that's if crazy. You think about it. One of, the, one of the issues of the existence of this link between fiat and Bitcoin is that. All that liquidity being just created out of thin air and pumped into Wall Street or through Wall Street, some of that liquidity is going into Bitcoin. And that means that value that was not created because of economic creation of, oh, sorry, Real wealth work. that, yeah. <laughs> that fr from work is going into the Bitcoin network. So there is misallocation, there's a distortion that is coming from fiat and it's leaking into Bitcoin. And there are 
non-economical, non-producers who are playing really well the fiat game, who are doing really well on the Bitcoin game. So we have like this, this leaking of misallocation. So the moment we break that, <laughs> the only way to get Bitcoin is from creating actual value that someone is willing to do away with their Bitcoin for that value. My Lord, that is a profound thought. And that is something that I have to chew on. And I'll tell you what, your, your experience from what you're talking about in Argentina and how that plays out is something that I've really never thought about how this is going to just drive a wedge between producers and consumers, net producers, net consumers in a society. And, and I mean, we're not just talking a society, we're talking on a global level here. Boy, I just can't imagine the social unrest and the things that this is going to create because you're going to have basically people who have performed work for the goods that, and services that they're selling, and they're just not going to accept the CBDC. They're going to refuse to, to accept it, right? That's where this is going is what you're saying. Yes, 100%. Who is somebody? We, uh, dude, I... I'm going to have to chew on that one myself. And I'm sure many people listening to this are going to be like, my God, what a profound thought. Who is someone that has really inspired you or shaped you in your life? And what is it about them that had this impact on you? Ooh, out of left field. <laughs> um, I don't want to go <laughs> all philosophical on you, but you ask the question. Uh, I, I guess I, I've been... Um, Way before Bitcoin, I, I've been into Stoicism for a really long time. Mm, okay. um, and I think it's one of the tools that has helped me the most in my life. So I, I would have probably have to go with uh, Seneca. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah, either Seneca or Epictetus. Yeah, Epictetus is a very interesting character because he was, he was a slave. And out of being a slave, he created a school of thought. And while being a slave, he had, he had students whom he would teach what came to be Stoicism. This idea of you are not a victim, a prisoner of your circumstances, I think it's, it's, such, a, it's such a powerful idea that it's not like what harms you is not what someone else is saying or what someone else is doing is your interpretation of mm -hmm. what they're saying or they're doing. And it gives you full sovereignty over your behavior. So yeah, I'll have to go with Epictetus. <laughs> it, it also helps you try to define what it is you actually control. Because when you approach an environment with this positive mindset that, that you are on the controls, you just got to figure out what, what those controls are, it forces you to find them in, in your environment. And I think when a person doesn't, uh, when they look at maybe I'm a victim, they don't even believe that there's controls at their disposal. And they're just saying, here I, here I am, you know, out here on a boat, just blowing in the wind. And they don't even try to find the rudder or try to figure out how the sails work. One time I was, uh, I went for a weekend uh, to visit uh, Francis Pouliot. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know the, the guy from Bull Bitcoin. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a friend of mine. And on the, on the way back, we, we spent a weekend with him and with my wife. And on the way back, we were talking, what makes someone more likely to understand, to understand Bitcoin and to understand acting in a way 
that doesn't depend on what others are thinking and what makes the difference between someone that will remain a victim and someone that will see the circumstances and act regardless of the, of those circumstances and one of the one of the things we thought was this idea of um learned helplessness which is the the concept of you learn as a child maybe that regardless of what you do your circumstances don't change um mm-hmm. and this is something that can be triggered by something super small but if you see that you are acting on your environment and your environment is not cha- changing in any way you learn that your behavior is irrelevant yeah um and that's one of the things that that i think it's it's so important realizing which is sort of like the idea of why someone would become an entrepreneur right like mm-hmm. why would you do all this effort just without being directed in any way why would you think you can change the world even if it's just a dent and i think this idea of i'm going to remain a it's not that they're choosing people are choosing to remain victims is they think they there is no other option it's yeah. the only option is well this is my circumstances i'm just going to observe them and i'm just going to suffer through them yeah i think that's such a such a powerful tool being able to realize that you can affect change so you're working on a book and there's a lot of people there's a lot of people in this space that have either written a book, working on writing a book, and almost all of them are Bitcoin 101 or Bitcoin for dummies. <laughs> and you've taken a different approach to this and I really like your title and your idea for this. So tell people about your book. Okay, so the the book title is Bitcoin 201. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> the idea came to me in uh, Bitcoin during Bitcoin 2022 because I orange peeled a good friend of mine from Canada who he he's living in Costa Rica and he came from uh, he came from Costa Rica to to Miami for the conference and he's super new to Bitcoin he bought his his first uh, stash maybe a, a few months ago or maybe a year ago or so. And he's gone down the rabbit hole hard, like real, real hard. He's done a lot of changes personally and like he gets it, like the guy gets it. And he's actually writing fiction on Bitcoin for, hmm. for, uh, for teenagers. And he came to me and he said, Pablo, should I coin join? <laughs> and that was such a funny question because like this guy had he he's never thought about coin joining his uh, his uh, <laughs> bank account you know his fiat <laughs> he started looking into should i run a node he started having all these different questions like he understood that he needed to buy bitcoin he understood the the benefits he understands like all the um, the austrian perspective the monetary like all the reasons why it's, it might be a good investment all that stuff he gets the 101 but when it comes he's got it the 101 he's got <laughs> it like he he's he understands it perfectly but the part where he needs to use bitcoin like he bought a ticket for we um through a dinner with uh, with alex vetsky uh the remnant dinner mm-hmm. and the only way to buy a ticket to the dinner was to pay with bitcoin there was no other way and he did his first bitcoin transaction to pay for that dinner and he didn't know how to do it. Like, he understood the, the concept of a hardware wallet and how to keep the cold store, all that part, yes. But how to actually pay with Bitcoin, how to, all, all that, 
those next level questions blank. He had no idea. So I started writing. I explained to him about coin joining, but then I started thinking that he very often comes with this type of question. I said, okay, we need to have something for these kind of people. Because one other thing that I think is that the more you use Bitcoin, the more your, your confidence with having your, all your assets or most of your assets in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. uh, where you see that it's not just like this one number mm-hmm. on the screen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I started uh, on the way back from that trip. I wrote a table of contents on yeah, misconceptions on Bitcoin, Lightning Network, Layer 2, Layer 3. Why you run a node? What is Bitcoin? Where are my Bitcoins? Like all these, like what is a UTXO, for example? I wrote a glossary for like all these different terms, but in a way that is more entertaining than just like a dictionary, like, you know, like a Wikipedia entry. And yeah, I actually, on the first part of the book, I wrote uh, why I'm writing this book. And I described this scene with my friend and he's saying, should I coin join my coins? Should I use Wasabi? Should I use Samurai? I think that's great. I mean, and, and you're going to have a lot of people that are in a very similar space. They're, they're using it as savings. And if they do want to go down that path where they do want to learn more about the second layer and how to do immediate transactions, and you can go on and on. This sounds like an awesome resource. I know you're not finished with the book yet, but you know a lot of our listeners will listen to this in six months from now or whatever. And Give them, give them a web page where they can either go sign up or they can learn more about the project. And then also uh, give them a handoff to uh, your Twitter profile or anything else you want to highlight. Yeah, my Twitter profile is uh, Pablo F7Z. It's a very different, it's a very hard <laughs> to say <Yeah>. name. <laughs> we'll, have a a, a, we'll have a link. <laughs> yes, we'll have a link. It's a, 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 an engineering thing where for some words, like long words, you leave the first character and the last character. And all the letters that you take out, you replace by the number of letters that you took out. So ah. F7C is Fernandez, uh, which is my last name. <laughs> it's, it. it's mainly used for internationalization. For example, when you write on, on programming, you write internationalization, you write I18N. So it's, it's, that, uh, it's that idea. <laughs> so yeah, that's my, my Twitter handle for the book. I'm going to have it on Bitcoin201book.com. Yeah, like you said, it's not done yet, but I'm, I'm moving at a really rapid pace because I've been explaining this kind of thing to people for, <laughs> for many years. I helped people run their first node and validate their transactions and all this kind of thing for their very first time. And it's, man, it's such a beautiful experience helping people with that kind of thing, because you realize I, I bought some stock maybe two or three years ago, and I realized that I couldn't actually withdraw the stock, the, the equity that I bought. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my God, this, it's custodial, all the, <laughs> it's custodial all, all the way down. And the idea that you can validate your transactions and you can validate from the Genesis blog and you can validate that everything is as it's supposed to be, and you don't have to ask for anyone to, oh, is this transaction valid? Man, it's, it's so, so powerful. Helping people unlock that mindset, it's absolutely beautiful. It truly shows you how antiquated traditional finance is after you start digging into some of the stuff and you're running your own node and peering into every <laughs> single transaction. And just, I mean, it's just crazy to, to think that the rest of the world's not even close to where this is at right now. So, 
Pablo, this was a blast. Uh, we will have links in the show notes to everything that he highlighted there. And thank you so much for making time to come on this show and explain some of this stuff to us. Thank you, Preston. I had a lot of fun. It was awesome. You, you've been a, a super important part of my actual Bitcoin journey as well. I actually went back and I listened to your first episode when you first talked about Bitcoin for the first time. <laughs> the 2015 one. That was it's oh, a hilarious episode. Yes. I, people should totally listen to that. <laughs> I mean, everybody, like you said, when we started, everybody kind of arrives at this from a different angle and you're just kind of like you arrive and you're like, well, what the heck is this? Come on, give me a break. <laughs> like, there's no way. But yeah, and you also pe mo most people uh, we we use the lenses that we that we currently have to mm -hmm. try to understand Bitcoin, yeah, right? Yeah. Which I think that's also why metaphors are so widely used to understand Bitcoin, like Bitcoin is digital gold, Bitcoin is this, Bitcoin is that. But in the same way, like the other side of the coin is that those metaphors represent your lack of understanding of Bitcoin. Exactly. So for example, when you start with Bitcoin is digital gold, man, you've missed like 98% of what Bitcoin is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's demonstrating you. you. <laughs> it's when you step into the space and you start pontificating on what you think you know. Um, amen to that, man. But Pablo, thank you so much for making time. This was a blast. Thank you, Preston. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.